Seek the truth and free your mind at Dogma Debate Hardcore Atheist Pornography.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Herd Mentality. Today's special guest is David C. Smalley from dogmadebate.com and atheistaudiobooks.com. Hello, Adam. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thanks, David. Now, rumour has it that you're in business with Pastor James D. Manning due to demand outstripping supply. I, I, I have to have 14 <laughs> testicles. How else would I get all that semen in Starbucks? Right. Now, you're an entrepreneur in the atheist community, and you've got a new project that you're launching. And so we reached out to one of our top researchers. Understandably. Launching an atheist-only hardcore pornography website is groundbreaking stuff. How much do you want to support that? All the support necessary to get this thing happening. It's confronting stuff. I mean, are you sure you're okay talking about it live on air? I'm fine with it. Has the site itself gone live yet? Don't worry about it. It's all ready. Okay. First things first, what do we type into Google in order to find the site? I am your new prayer pillow. It seems misleading. What's the content like? It is disgusting on a disturbing Level And you yourself have directed and starred in several of the videos alongside Ray Comfort. Some of the greatest times we had. Could you walk me through one of your favorite videos with Ray, please? Okay. What's the title? I'm supporting Hitler. Guys, get off me. Mm, points for creativity. What's in the first scene? And we're just about to get it done to go wheel this big thing over to help some kids at a playground. Whoa, okay. I'm going to stop you there. I'm getting messages uh, right now. One of our fourth listeners, Bradley is like, what the hell is on air right now? This is brilliant. I love it. This is ridiculously awesome. Yeah, Bradley needs help. What's another one of the videos called? I thought it was Fleshlight, not Flatulence. Wow, okay. Definitely want to show you some of our highlight moments. A description is sufficient, thanks. I mean, how does that one end? And then at the last second, someone comes up. Like, she has this huge basket. Right. But it all comes out. And what did you do at that point? Mm, then? Just to kind of bring the point home. Where did you aim it? It all goes into the same bucket. Goodness. Any outtakes? That's going to be amazing. So, yeah, I think they got it on video. We'll try to share it. Not here, thanks. It would have been bad enough if that was all it was. No, no, no. That's enough. I think I need to lie down after this. David C. Smalley from DogmaDebate.com. Thanks for coming on the show. Great job, Adam. <laughs> that was good. Adam, you're a genius. Yeah. Hey, cheers, David. Uh, you did really well. This is much harder than live radio, isn't it? Well, I, I guess I'm officially in a podcast room. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're losing. <laughs> Once we're done with this segment, then we will share with you the things that I promised. Welcome to the Herd Mentality, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook and Google+, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, and joining me down the line from New York, New York, I have my second favourite rap artist after Ray Comfort. It's Bubba Brinkman. Welcome, sir. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Where are you from? I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Exciting place? Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, geographically pretty stunning, and uh, it's got a lot of alternative culture, uh, some of which I still celebrate, and some of which I now cringe at. <laughs> and apologise for, presumably. Uh... Depends on who I'm talking to, but yeah. <laughs> Your work is something that I've never seen done before. In 25 words or less, how would you describe it? I guess uh, the simplest way is that I'm a rap artist who is also a science communicator. 
So I'm trying to synthesize the key ideas from evolutionary biology uh, and evolutionary psychology and cognitive psychology and other various fields of science into rap songs that are as sort of catchy and entertaining and as accessible as, as I can possibly make them, hopefully on par with other mainstream rap artists. I think it's time for a shift in the genre, away from shooting people. Well, look, there's a... There's a case to be made for that. It's it's celebrating a certain type of culture and so forth. But but this is celebrating something else. This is a contrast that's often raised. You know, standard rap artists to talk about women and shooting people, and you talk about death. But actually, if you listen to the rap guide to evolution, there's a lot of gangster and bitches and hoes type stuff in there, <laughs> but uh, not in those exact terms. It's instead like, what are the adaptive benefits of various mating strategies, and how can you see that at play in rap music videos? And what are the adaptive benefits of taking of violent and aggressive versus nonviolent and passive uh, stance towards your conspecifics and how can we look at that through an evolutionary lens so you know I think my rap in a way is just as gangster as anyone else's rap it's just like meta gangster it's about where it comes from <laughs> I saw you when you came to Sydney in the opera house the lady friend bought tickets for us to go and experience your work and it's so catchy that you have the lyrics playing over and over in your head and it sort of reinforces the message you're trying to put out there. So I came out of it utterly convinced that we did evolve from Filthy Monkey Man. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, that's my goal. But I think for you, I'm preaching to the choir and the, and the good hits are when people tell me that they, you know, never really agreed with evolution or were on the fence and then listening to the song made them curious to go read a book or two and, and it tipped them. And I do get that every now and then. So some, some people are going to respond to music. Some people are going to respond to talk shows, TV shows, things like the atheist experience, books like Richard Dawkins. Whenever he speaks, there's always some degree of influence that's cast. It takes all types in the movement to lift the standard of curiosity across the general populace. That's an excellent way of putting what I'm trying to do. <laughs> but I don't think many people would have considered rap a, a worthy medium for that task, but I, I really think it is. And in a way, rap, rap has the tools of grabbing your attention that lots of other forms don't. Rap can be memorable and catchy and, and sort of in your face and, and, and loud and bright in a way that a book or a lecture can't. And I, I put those tools to work, grabbing people's attention and then, you know, and then take it where I want it to go. Well, that ties in a couple of points quite nicely. In terms of influence, how do your family respond to all of this? Because you've done my favorite song of yours, and we mentioned this off air, is Creationist Cousins. Really catchy song. And it speaks to your experiences with your family and how many of them reject evolution. They're all biblical scholars by the sound of things. Well, um, my, my dad is the eldest of 10 uh, siblings. And of the 10, two of them uh, remained sort of true believers and young earth creationists. And the other eight all left the faith. So I wasn't raised religious myself. But I have first cousins who are young earth creationists. And then I have other cousins that fall on the spectrum. And, and there's other members of my family that um, you know, would say that they agree with evolution, but they're, but they would believe in like, you know, souls or reincarnation or spiritual energy or things like that. You know, I try to address some of those ideas in the show as well. You know, a lot of people in my family, if, if, you know, consider, who tell me that I've, I've turned into a, you know, a, a scientific fundamentalist or an evangelical sci scientist because I disregard the possibility of the supernatural, or at least I, I put a clear standard of criteria or, or evidence on it. I'll believe in the supernatural if you show me some evidence that it exists, but your hunches don't cut it for me anymore. And for some people, that's just a rude statement. But, you know, it's also an honest one. Yeah, it is reality. Until it's demonstrated to be real, why bother believing in it? 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's a that is actually a um, a question with a with a more complex answer than just why bother, so don't bother. Because uh, you know, I'm, as I've been researching and and putting forward in my new work, there are good evolutionary reasons to believe in things that aren't real. Actually, there's all kinds of evolutionary incentives to believe in fictions. Evolution wouldn't shape shape a mind to be maximally perceptive and lucid to reality. Evolution would shape a mind that perceives in the way that maximizes survival and reproduction. And if those things can be maximized sometimes by misperceiving the world, then we should predict that that's how our minds will work. And sure enough, they do. And that's how, you know, that's what you see in optical illusions and cognitive biases and, um, you know, sort of weighting of false negatives over false positives, which gives us all kinds of sort of blindnesses. And then you can find a lot of that influencing religious thinking as well. But it's not useless and it's not pointless it's just not accurate. When you take a topic like what you discussed in Creationist Cousins, it's readily picked up by other people. So we can all relate to it. It's very relatable. And there's yeah. so much science slipped in there. So at the end of it, you've, you've, you've had basically a full hour-long lecture on <laughs> evolutionary biology. And I think from memory, you mentioned that you were consulting with evolutionary biologists. Yeah, that's that's been really one of the most exciting parts of this process for me is you know, I started out with a biologist who, uh, Mark Palin, he's based in, uh, in Warwick University in the UK now, but he was the first one who said, do you think you could try explaining Darwin in rap? Uh, if you can, I'm going to hire you to be the entertainment at this conference I'm organizing. And I just thought that was a cool challenge. So I took the job on and then he passed it on to his colleagues and it sort of spread really fast among scientists sharing it with each other. And I ended up having correspondences with lots of them. And now I really cop to this concept of peer reviewed rap because I'll write a song and I'll send, I'll find out who is the world expert on that subject and I'll send them the lyrics and say, does this rep misrepresent the science in any way? I want it to be factually accurate. You know, give me some poetic license where it's clearly tongue in cheek, but otherwise uh, no misconceptions allowed. Peer reviewed rap is another thing that's, um, you know, that people find relatable as a concept because, you know, it, it makes you sort of g give more weight to what you're listening to in a way. Mm. This is all about the Rap Guide to Evolution, which is the show that you brought to Australia. What are you currently working on? Well, the, the new show that I'm performing off-Broadway is Rap Guide to Religion, which is sort of a sequel to Rap Guide to Evolution. And as I was researching evolution, I, I kept coming across all this sort of evolutionary origins of religious behavior stuff and and it's really fascinating so I, I wrote it into its own show and there's you know it's a it's a complex field to summarize into an elevator speech but basically the key idea is that religious beliefs began as a side effect of cognition a sort of byproduct of things like theory of mind and agency detection and teleology and all these sort of useful cognitive abilities that we evolved have this side effect of imagining sort of disembodied minds or anthropomorphizing the weather and things like that, which is just sort of an unavoidable element of, um, you know, applying these things a bit too promiscuously. But so in that sense, religion is useless. It's just a byproduct. But that at certain points in our history, religion became adaptive because the more religious you were, the more, for instance, offspring you would have. And religion is all about promoting fertility, right? You got mm -hmm. these ma massive families in the more religious groups. And also, uh, it also <laughs> promotes group cohesiveness. So uh, religion can be a mechanism for binding people to a group and making them feel more invested and therefore less likely to behave in a self-interested manner or to defect. And that can actually cause 
some groups to more successfully displace uh, other groups that don't have as strong of religion and that can therefore become evolutionarily beneficial. Um, so, you know, we're an overwhelmingly religious species and I can't just dismiss that as nothing but ignorance and fear and failures of cognition. It's got to have a Darwinian uh, explanation at some level. And that's what my new show is all about. The religions themselves evolve as well. Yeah. Well, there's a twofold process, right? First, you're evolving genetically the cognitive capacities that make you prone to believe in consciousness and, and mental uh, abilities and entities that are not there, right? So believing in ghosts and spirits and ancestors and gods is something we appear to have evolved to do to some degree, at least on an instinctual level. Uh, atheists like you and I can sort of feel the hunch that a, a scraping sound in the night might be a ghost, but then think about it for a second, go, actually, it's not, and dismiss it, you know, but we still have these sort of instinctual responses, which project intentionality to non-thinking things in the world around us, you know, that's one source of it. Uh, but then there's cultural evolution as well. And that's where religions are evolving different beliefs and practices. And some cultures are replacing other cultures. And that's like competition for our minds, basically, certain beliefs turn out to be catchier and stickier and just stay with you more. And that's like a Darwinian competition on memes. Uh, and that's another form of cult of, of evolution, but on a different substrate. So they, you kind of have to understand them both to get what's going on with religion. Well, there's a lot going on in religion. It's certainly a topic that keeps growing in terms of podcasts, news coverage, and so forth. Will there ever be a rap guide to female genital mutilation, do you think? Oh, that would be a pretty hard one to market, I think. <laughs> Um, but it's a very I mean, niche I, audience. I could see, yeah, uh, I could definitely see like touching on that or, or co covering it in a rap song. I might not use that exact title, but you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's one of those things that I think every sane person should want to see the end of. And for some baffling reason, it's still so widespread. So um, definitely worth addressing. Mm -hmm. So with the music, you don't go solo here. You, 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 when you're on stage, it's a huge production. You've got backup dancers, Britney Spears style, uh, <laughs> and you've got a DJ <laughs> to your left. I mean, a lot of this I achieve with, uh, with a video projection now. So, um, if you remembered my show as having backup dancers, I'm flattered, but there actually weren't any. They were just, <laughs> they were just videos. Uh, and the DJ is my friend, uh, Jamie Simmons, who produces a lot of the music, but he, he toured with me in Australia, but he's not in the new Rap Guide to Religion show. Uh, he, he moved to Seattle recently, although we're still working together on music. For the last few months, I've been performing solo. When the full production tours, like the one you saw in Sydney, it's, uh, it's quite a spectacle. Lights, sound, visual, DJ, crowd throwing their hands in the air, you know, it's not a lecture, it's a concert. I'm an African. Well, so are we all. But, you know, it's important to pronounce it correctly. It's actually, I'm a African. True. If you're going to quote the hip hop in its original form, a lot of people want to try to correct them, but I think it's rhythmically better if you say, I'm an African, all the different syllables really pop out. If you say, I'm an African, it sort of like slurs together. So, you know, it's another example of like people dismissing something as an error that actually might have an adaptive purpose. And I, you know, a lot of hip hop slang, I'll give it that. Yes. Well, look, I can use all the help I can get when it comes to rap. You tasted a sample of some of Ray Comfort rapping earlier. Would you have any advice for him? Well, I, I would say the thing uh, that, that makes good rap for me is multi-syllable rhyme combinations. So, you know, Ray Comfort's raps were uh, were one-syllable style, which is more like the old school, like Run DMC or Beastie Boys style. But, um, you know, if you, if you want to make it more like new school and make it up, 
uh, make it sort of up to date, then um, I'll be like, yo, I'm Ray Comfort. I'm going to hear and correct all of your stray assumptions. Can't you see? That's the way that I handle you. And my hand is a banana. And that's how I'm going to manage you. Gangster like a bandana. Yes, indeed. I don't take the piss, but I'm making this a historical rap for a creationist. Yeah, that's right. Me and my man, young Cameron, we're going to damage them. Yes, I'm not one of those average sons, you know, like multiple patterns. And that's just a little freestyle and that's exquisite but uh you're neglecting uh, you, you gave it away when you said more than one syllable i don't think it's within the realms of possibility for paul ray no that's true to put it putting multiple syllables together is a is a <laughs> higher cognitive function isn't it indeed so Baba, how can we come and see you and where can we see some of your work well, my, my Rap Guide to Religion show is currently running off-Broadway, so if you have listeners in New York, uh, we're on five shows a week, Wednesday through Sunday, at the Soho Playhouse, and that one's easy to find. It's just rapguidetoreligion.com, and um, if you want to listen to some of the music, just uh, my website is bababrinkman.com, B-A-B-A-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N, and I've got... I got albums about evolutionary psychology and about Darwin's impact on history and about eco-psychology and about religion. I've got a rap adaptation of the Canterbury Tales and Beowulf. So um, I'm quite sort of uh, academically promiscuous with this stuff. And there's a lot of your gear on YouTube as well. Yeah, YouTube, there's tons of videos. Actually, I have a brand new video that just released a few weeks ago called uh, So Infectious. And it, it's um, sort of a summary of the effects of bacterial pathogens. Talking about catchiness, it's like, every time I rhyme on the beat so fly, I'm E-H-E-C, E. coli. If a man try to bite me, he gon' die. But you'll find number nine if you be bovine. What's this? It's a hell of a ruckus. I'm hyped up like Rockefeller Productions. I make crowds go whoop, whoop. When I bust this, whooping like it's bordella pertussis. Wow. I'm going to have to insert a round of applause after that. It's my own yeah, personal you make showing. Sure you got a nice loud sound effect. <laughs> Baba, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really hope everyone goes and takes a listen. In fact, I'm going to force the listeners to have a listen to this. I'm going to, throw, right, in, yeah. I'm going to throw in part of the rap guide to Evolution for the uh, Creationist Cousins video. And the video on that is just fantastic. It's so much fun. So, Baba, thanks a lot for coming on. All the best with the tour. All right. Thanks a lot, Adam. Good to talk to you. Creationist cousins, my relations, I love them. But when they talk about Jesus and revelations and judges, I gotta take it up with them. Because there's a better explanation for the place that we come from, okay? I got creationist cousins with my relations, I love them. But at the dinner table, we get on some crazy discussions. I'm always questioning the basic assumptions and said, yes, I believe we came from monkeys, okay? See, that's the idea that most enrages Darwin detractors. The idea that we came from ape-like animals. Ancestors. Some people still question this and say if we came from monkeys, then how come this monkey's still in existence? Allow me to illustrate a similar instance. I'm descended from Dutch Calvinist immigrants who came to Canada in the 1950s, and I still have second cousins who live in the Netherlands, but they're not my ancestors. They're my relatives since we have common genetic elements inherited from our great-grandparents. That's just three generations back, but here's the relevance. Three thousand generations back, human beings all have common ancestors, so really, we're all all relatives, which also means all relationships are relatively incestuous. Further back, we also have common ancestors with chimps and gorillas and elephants and plants, and billions of years back, our ancestors are all single cellular. But what I find incredible isn't this principle of unity of common descent. That's just elegant. What's incredible to me is that some of my living relatives still believe that the earth was created by a benevolent god about 70-odd centuries ago, around the time of the Egyptians, and that that same god is currently manipulating the elements and 
that evolutionism is devilish. Did I mention that I was descended from Calvinist fundamentalists? Well, I still have living cousins as dedicated representatives, approximately 20% of them. And at the dinner table, we debate statistics. And those debates get kind of interesting. They go like this. Creationist cousins are my relations, I love them But when they talk about Jesus and revelations and judges I gotta take it up with them Cause there's a better explanation for the place that we come from Okay, I got creationist cousins are my relations, I love them But at the dinner table we get on some crazy discussions I'm always questioning the basic assumptions And saying yes, I believe we came from monkeys My name's Carrie Poppy Hi, I'm Steve Colgan This is Richard Saunders Hi, George Robb here I'm Jane Novella. I can tell you what I hate about QED. What I really hate is that it comes to an end each year. QED, for me, is just a wonderful opportunity to to hear lots of speakers. Hearing the crunch of 350 people purposely and simultaneously overdosing on homeopathic pills for the 1023 event was a sound I will never forget. Hmm. It's simply one of the better skeptical conventions anywhere in the world and you're you're asking me what i think of qed i haven't been to qed and also because it's such a a personable event to actually meet quite a few of these people for the first time because you will meet many many fun and interesting people you will see great talks by some of the best thinkers and you'll also meet people who have a drive and a passion for making the world better by protecting people and not being dicks about it. You know, right down to people who I maybe wouldn't have heard of without QED comp. I would be an epic guest because I could speak in a flawless British accent. Hello, everyone. Like that. And everyone would be like, who is this English guy? Uh, are, are, are you inviting me? Because I'd love to go. QED 2015, April the 24th to the 26th in Manchester, England. 12 main stage speakers, 8 panels, 3 comedians, and 500 friends, and a massive party! Tickets are £99 or £69 for students for the weekend, including the Saturday night. www.qedcom.org to get your ticket. Hurry, it's in April! This fall... In Australia, not America. Australia is on the opposite side of the world. The the bottom half of the equator. From the Atheist Experience, Matt Dillahunty, host of The Thinking Atheist, Seth Andrews. Genetically engineered for perfection, Aaron Ra. It's the city of and I just f***ed it all up. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'll edit that out. You had one job. It's fine. I, I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, we're going to start off in Sydney on the 13th of March, 2015 at 6 p.m. And on March 18th, we'll be in Brisbane at City Hall. And I just lost my place. <laughs> and we'll be in Melbourne on the 21st of March at 6 p.m. All of us on stage really interacting with the audience. It's going to be a great and fun evening. This is a, a great opportunity for us to come to Australia, meet people, and, and support local groups, and give presentations. And I'm going to be explaining why the Bible is a chronicle of God's failures. But I also want to hear the interaction about the people in their situation and how 
religion is affecting Australians. I'll be doing show tunes. I'll have backup dancers and a motorcycle ball of death. So it's going to be a fantastic evening for the whole family. The Unholy Trinity Down Under Tour. Proudly sponsored by the Atheist Foundation of Australia. Tickets available at unholytrinitydownunder.com. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me down the line, I have at Gaytheist Callie. How are you? I am well. How are you? Uh, waking up. I'm getting there. Since I've been doing some different jobs, I've had to adjust my recording schedule to really, really odd hours of the day. Uh, but thank you very much for joining us. I, I'm suspecting that with the exception of Raylene, you're the first transgender person to join us on the show. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad to be. Excellent. Breaking records. And yeah. you, you sent me an email. Where, whereabouts are you based? I am in Cincinnati, Ohio, in the U.S. I know where that is. Which is unusual because I don't know very much about the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> they call it the Queen City. I think uh, I think Berlin, Germany, is supposed to be our sister city or something. Sounds fabulous. <laughs> you sent me an email regarding transgender issues. So, firstly, spell it out for me. What's transgender? So, someone is transgender when they don't identify as a person within the sex they were assigned at birth. So, you know, a baby born with a penis is assigned male and assumed to be male. And sometimes people grow up and psychologically, emotionally um, aren't male. That's my situation. Mm-hmm. It happens the other way as well. And um, there are even some people who identify as bi-gender, no-gender, uh, gender-fluid, um, where you know, it sort of changes from day to day. So that's kind of the baseline of what the definition of being transgender is. It's sort of an umbrella term Mm -hmm. that covers all sorts of identities underneath that spectrum. Well, the umbrella term that I'm perhaps most familiar with is the LGBTQ, um, and I can't keep up with the number of letters after it. Oh, yeah. There's, There's a really long one that's like eight or nine letters long. I want to be politically correct, but I also like to have conversations that don't last for three hours when they don't need to. So There we go. Okay. So I'm at ease now. This is good news. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. You're good. You sent me an email about some transgender issues and I thought it's it's about time we had a talk about it. So lay it on me. What's big of late over in the States? Well, there was a 17-year-old trans girl here in my hometown in Cincinnati who committed suicide in the last few days of December. She auto-posted her suicide note to Tumblr and it was just sort of a firestorm around the internet and, and even to some degree around the world. I have, I mean, I'm in Facebook groups with people from Australia and that's actually how I heard about your podcast. And, uh, you know, there were vigils in, in as far away as London um, and then all around the United States. In her suicide note, she talked a lot about being rejected by her parents because of her parents' religious beliefs and um, being worried about uh, her quality of life after transition, you know, being worried about because she wanted to start transition treatments young so the so puberty doesn't you know, hit you and take you the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And she was really worried about the effects of that. And uh, the pressure just became too much to take. And she ended up taking her own life. In the face of what you referred to in an email as reparative therapy, sure. this is mm-hmm. almost pray the gay away. Is that yeah, the I mean, it's, it's the here? exact same thing, except as it relates to trans people. So um, her parents took her to her church that has, I guess they have some quote unquote therapists there on staff that 
practice this reparative therapy and the idea is to convince you that you are really not who you know you are. And there's a, a good body of evidence that this is not only ineffective, but a lot of times very damaging, especially to kids. Because, you know, I have a wide social network and I'm an adult and I can choose the people I'm around, but her parents isolated her completely, took away her computer, her phone, pulled her out of school. So she was in an environment where she was just constantly under pressure to be this person that she wasn't. Her parents were doing what they felt was the best idea. Well, right. And that's that's kind of where the, the religion aspect comes in because me as a trans person, I felt what it's like to be rejected by people because of their religious beliefs. Thankfully, not my parents. But that's one of the things that's so dangerous about religion in my eyes is that it lets you convince yourself of things that take your focus off of what's in front of you. And sometimes that's your child. You know, as much as I want to be angry at them and am angry at them, them, I also kind of feel like they are kind of victims in the situation too, because I'm sure their religious beliefs are all they've ever known, and that's all they were ever taught. So the the idea of being transgender or even being gay probably just didn't exist mm. in their worldview. So you know, in their mind, they were probably doing the right thing, and I think that's even more scary than if they had just been these, like, monstrous, bigoted people. Mm. I think it gives semblance of them caring by their actions. Right. See, when I meet somebody new who is markedly different to me, I do my best with my empathy to position myself from their viewpoint. Right. I kind of get it with gay people. I really struggle with transgender because I have to use a lot of imagination. <laughs> Right, right. So, but but I, I can get it even if I don't completely understand it. I'll be honest, I, I think it's a really hard thing for me to talk about I th for fear of offending or sure. for fear of saying the wrong thing or, or putting this out as a podcast and then having another transgender person who happens to take something the wrong way. I, I, I don't know. Right. For, for me, it's, it's such a grey area. And to be a parent in that situation and understand even less than me... <sighs> How can we help? What what would have been a better outcome? I mean, there there's so much support. I mean, I can't speak to the community in Australia, but, you know, where I am in Cincinnati, we actually have kind of a reputation for being a really backwards conservative city. But uh, in a lot of ways, that's not the case. Uh, the LGBT community here is extraordinary. There's a history of trans people not feeling like the LGBs cared about us. But, I mean, that hasn't been my experience at all. Throughout this whole thing, we've had some of the bigger... LGBT organizations that you usually just associate with gay rights, like uh, you know, the HRC and GLSEN, you know, they stepped up and said, what can we do? And they've been some of our biggest allies and advocates. I think anytime, well, I mean, what you're doing now, right now, you're using your platform to give a trans person a voice to try and educate people. And I think that's really the important thing because our stories don't get told. And I think that's really, um, you know, the conversation is really the important thing. Obviously, you know, give your time, give your money to organizations if that's something you're inclined to do. But even just talking about it, bringing, bringing the conversation up, you know, so you can educate someone. I mean, most of the people that know me outside of the LGBT community, I'm the only trans person they've ever met. They may know like three or four gay people, hmm. but I'm the only trans person they've ever met. And that can, that can kind of put a little bit of pressure because, you know, part of me, like, I just want to go live my life, but I also feel a responsibility to educate people on behalf of the, the trans community and 
you know, raise awareness and try and make things better. Well, he, um, he's, so your, a, he's your shot yeah. then. If you had one thing that you could broadcast, one point, what would it be? I think the, the most important thing is that, you know, we're just people. It, it's, it's really the same thing that you hear when you're talking about, about gay people. You know, they're just people trying to live their lives, trying to love who they love. I've got a job. I've got a favorite TV show. I've got favorite bands. You know, I like to go to the arcade with my friends. Being, being trans isn't all I am. Hmm. And I think because the experience is so foreign, sometimes you get caught up in, oh my God, I, I can't understand this. I can't understand this. I can't understand this. But what it's really about is just, just treat, treat me, treat any trans person just like anyone else. You know, it's not rude to discreetly ask what pronouns someone prefers if you're not sure. Um, you know, oh, if the presentation isn't, isn't <laughs> clear. But, you know, use the person's preferred name, use the person's preferred pronouns. And aside from that, just treat them like you would anyone else. I think that would make for some, a, a glorious Raygate sketch. Ray meeting nah. a trans person. Just... <laughs> you know, I, I, would, I would absolutely love that. <laughs> I don't think you know what to do. You'd be oh, worse than man. me. <laughs> Just be <laughs> stunned silence. Going, what? what? I'm, I must have. No, I'm, a- I'm just the the possibilities. I'm just thinking. Like, <laughs> oh, it's best not to think about such things. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> Kelly, are there any organisations specifically or Facebook groups that you'd like to give a recommendation or a shout out for? So, as far as the LGBT community goes. Um, uh, to be honest, I don't know how international these organizations are, but in the United States, there's GLSEN, G-L-S-E-N. Um, they're a, a safe schools group for LGBT youth. Um, there's HRC, Human Rights Campaign. They're the largest LGBT organization. And not LGBT related, I also um, I work for a nonprofit called A Voice for the Innocent. And we're a peer-led support community for victims of sexual violence. So you can find us at avfti.org. If that's a cause that's that's near and dear to your heart, that's um, something that's that's big for me too. Fantastic. Kelly, thank you very much for your time and for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Adam. If anybody is interested in learning about Big Daddy Cheese, raising Joseph Smith to be a treasure seeker, to get cow dung all over, and D-Day David's help to swindle not-so-smarty Marty out of his farm... Even after Not So Smarty Marty went to Not So Smarty Marty Super Study Smarty Party Pooper Pal Charlie and learned that Joe was lying regarding everything about the Golden Plates. This happened after Joe was punched in the head by a toad that transformed into the angel Nephi when he was trying to get the Golden Plates out of the ground. Well, what I'm trying to say is, if anybody wants to learn real Mormon history in a scathing format from an ex-Mormon atheist, check out NakedMormonismPodcast.com or Naked Mormonism on iTunes and Stitcher, or you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Naked Mormonism. Herd mentalists, hear me! I appreciate your patience while I've been putting this episode together. It's been a big job. In the background, I've been working a full-time job trying to make a podcast, plus a contract job, and helping set up the Unholy Trinity Tour. It's going to be awesome, and there's also talk of a special VIP event in Melbourne, so stay tuned on that one. So much going on with that. Uh, Matt, Seth, and Aaron speaking at all sorts of events around Australia, so check it out at unholytrinitydownunder.com. 
I've been on several shows of late, episode 200 of Cognitive Dissonance, episode 94 of The Scathing Atheist, episode 159 of Dogma Debate, as well as upcoming episodes of The Barroom Atheists and the My Book of Mormon podcast. So if you're not getting enough me here, you almost certainly will there. I have some personal news. My girlfriend, otherwise known as The Lady Friend, has been promoted to Hong Kong later this year and I'm heading over there with her for an undetermined period of time. It's a big move for both of us and it puts me in the position of either seeking a full-time sales marketing role there or as an English teacher. So any leads or contacts you may have there, please drop me an email. I'd really appreciate it. My preference would be to build the support via Patreon so I can go back to doing this full-time plus earning a living and get you out an episode every week. So there it is. Support the show at patreon.com slash herdmentality for more content. It's a simple equation. I have to pay the bills and I'll be making a decision closer to the move date regarding how much time I can devote to the show. To put this in perspective, if just 1% of people contributed a dollar an episode, I'd be doing this full time already. My thanks to the wonderful people who do support the show, now including Clifford, Clint, Emily, Tim, Elsa, Paul, Marshall and Jerry, who have all contributed a few bucks per show. Lots of people giving a little bit is the way that I can afford to create you more content. And also a very special thanks to Frankie and David for your one-time donations at HerdMentalityPodcast.com through the PayPal. As always, 10% of everything you guys have given goes to Kiva.org to help women in developing countries to further their education. This episode, the Herd Mentalists have helped Virginia in Paraguay for university fees and uh, Valia in Armenia to pay for textbooks, presumably for how to improve foreign accent. I've begun receiving repayments from many of the existing Kiva loans, so this money is being relent to new borrowers. I would like to make a special shout out to my friend Jim Reaver at jimreaver.com, R-I-V-A. He's the gentleman who authors the Champion of Reason sketches for the show. I have one in the bank and several already scripted, but simply haven't had enough time to edit this for the show. So the sketches, they're a lot of fun to do, but they take a lot of time to edit. So again, with more Patreon support, we can make more sketches. So to round out this episode, I'd like to play an extract of some stand-up comedy sent through to me by a gentleman who goes by the name of Luke Archer. You can find his whole stand-up routine by searching Luke Archer Cobbler's Dog Poetry on YouTube. I hope you enjoy it, as I did, and until next we meet. I've got any Christians in? Yeah! Yeah? No, I'm not buying it. They're here somewhere, blending in. I recently had a look at the Old Testament and um, I read Leviticus. Anyone else yes, read this? Yes! Yeah, the hardcore stuff. That's the one. all soft and forgiving. Absolutely. Yeah, well, um, it raised a few questions. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd write a poem as if it was a, a letter to God asking some questions. So uh, this is Leviticus. Hello, God. It's me. I hope you're well. I'm doing fine. I've got some questions and was hoping maybe you could spare some time to clarify some stuff that crops up in the Bible, if you would, which incidentally I've studied and it's really rather good. It's just that some of it's confusing and some chapters really long. And I'm not sure how to say this, but some parts of it are wrong. 
which I discovered only recently through biblical research. You see, I haven't done much praying and I never go to church. And it's not because there's another God that superseded you, it's just I'm Church of England. Didn't think I needed to. <laughs> and I planned to do the stuff that other Protestants had tried and only find you and start worshipping you just before I died. But then I read your book and found some rules that you'd laid out for us, hidden just behind the numbers and just after Exodus. But I came across some strange quotations on my Google search. Why aren't men with damaged testicles allowed to go to church? (laughs) Or the lame, the blind, the midgets, the deformed or the diseased? Because Jesus seemed to love that lot. Bet he wasn't pleased. In fact, you've pretty much excluded that entire social camp. But then, why have we got churches with disabled access ramps? And then there's homosexuality. Now, we all know what you think, but what if it was just one time and you'd had a lot to drink? (laughs) And I'm not trying to be funny, but as the subject has arisen, is it really all that bad? And uh, does the rule apply in prison? (laughs) Not to look at girls who menstruate seems quite a hefty task. I mean, it's not like they announce it, and it seems too rude to ask. And yes, sleeping with your sister, that's an obvious one, clearly. But to damn a guy to hell for eating rabbits? Yeah. I mean, really? And you say it's because they cheweth cud. And the same applies to hairs. But in point of fact, they don't. And more importantly, who cares? We've all been sick and swallowed it. <laughs> Happens all the time, and it's politer than to spit it out. So why is that a crime? <laughs> Straight to hell. Why can't I eat a single beast, be it feathered, scaled, or furred, that cheweth cud but do not divideth hoof? (laughs) And divideth's not a word. I'm not entirely sure to which thesaurus you've referred, but you've made frequent use of cheweth too. Cheweth's not a word. And there's a massive list of birds I shouldn't eat, and fair enough, I wouldn't eat a bird of prey, the meat would be too tough. But the list contains an error, and I don't know if you've heard, but you've gone and put a bat on there. Since when's about a bird? <laughs> and anything that creeps, possesses wings and has four legs is apparently non grata in the dietary regs. And my problem, Lord, with this part of the do and don't eat list is that creeping winged quadrupeds quite frankly don't exist. <laughs> if you're going to start with things that don't exist I shouldn't eat, then I'll best stop eating flying pigs and lay off the unicorn meat. <laughs> And to say I can't eat anything that creepeth, that's absurd. I mean, what qualifies as creeping? And creepeth's not a word. (laughs) Sorry, I'm moving away from the mic here. So, I mustn't go a-whoring, and I can't hang out with wizards, and I won't be having sex with pigs or eating snakes and lizards, and I'll never eat an eagle, drink some blood, or grope an owl, and apparently I mustn't ever eat four-legged fowl. Now, God, do you refer to a disfigured mutant hen? Or is this, and I suspect it is, about the bats again? (laughs) Also, there's quite a lot of blood that you're insisting must be spilled, and you seem to get excited when a lot of stuff gets killed. With all these weird demands, Lord, well, it's hard to stay afloat. You're always wanting sacrifice. Where am I supposed to get a goat? And when my missus has a baby, then it's part of our religion, then I sacrifice a lamb, or at the very least, two pigeons. So now I need to buy a field and an aviary to keep them. And if I sacrifice these creatures in your name, why can't I eat them? 
because their bodies start to mount up and the whole lot goes to waste. And besides which, this bloodlust seems in terribly bad taste. Now, I'm sure you're really lovely, and deep down you do mean well, (laughs) but it seems that if we thought like you, we'd all be damned to hell. See, your morality gets murky with the biblical red tape, so I'm left a bit uncertain about where you stand on rape. (laughs) Don't often get a laugh from the word rape. (laughs) You see, a beast can't be complicit in interspecies sexual acts. That's not just my opinion, I'm pretty sure that's fact. So why then, if I lay with either slave girl or with beast, the only course of action is we all end up deceased? Now, it seems a touch unfair to punish them. It's not their fault if they're the unconsenting party to a sexual assault. And then there's the stuff about infanticide and women being unclean, all the war, disease and pestilence and bloodshed in between, all the damning and the smiting, all the brimstone and the fire, all the battling our urges, all our instincts and desires, all the abstinence, the discipline, the reading and the prayer, all the judgment, all that guilt, all that self-loathing and despair. I could accept it all, become devout and take you at your word. Just that stuff about the handicapped. And you did think bats were birds. (laughs) 